What's up, everybody? It is Monday, which means it's time for another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we've got the return of the Monday mailbag. Also going to be talking about the PGA Championship, the first weekend of the NBA playoffs, and what's going on in Major League Baseball. Episode 44 coming at you right now. Friends, family, and trolls, thank you for joining another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. I am Preston Pangburn, along with my brother and co-host Landon Pangburn. Lando, eventful weekend in sports. Some would say historic. How you doing? It wasn't a story week in sports. It was. It's been awesome. I'm doing great. I was actually up in the mountains all weekend with some of my boys and played a little golf, hung out, enjoyed the nature, you know. But uh, but we're back in business now. Yeah, we are. You told me that you had an interesting weekend, played a little golf, also almost got your car stuck on the side of a mountain. Oh, I did get my car stuck on the side of a which, mountain. Which one would you say was more relaxing? Uh, the the golf was much more relaxing than okay. the drive up the mountain where five guys had to push my car up the hill. <laughs> we actually had one of our four guys in our foursome of golf. It was his first ever round of golf. And the funniest thing that happened all day was on the first hole, his first hole of golf ever, his first putt, he had an absolute jam job on a 40-foot birdie putt. Nailed it. No dude. way. Yeah. 40-foot <laughs> birdie putt. It was going like approximately 50 miles an hour when it went in the hole. Had it not hit the flagstick dead center it would have rolled at least halfway down the fairway it was it was absurd that's amazing you love to see it and that's what's cool about not being good at golf is you can still be a decent putter or at least get lucky here and there you know we do the matt clark invitational every year for max birthday and it's like a scramble with you know 16 foursomes anyway the guys who aren't very good all you do is really go out there and putt oh for sure but if you can sink you know one putt especially from 40 feet that can add value to the team yeah and make your day yeah, exactly. Brings you back for sure. But when it's not a scramble and it's all just every man for himself, he probably didn't have the best day of his life. Yeah, that's why we scrambled. Uh, it would have been <laughs> okay. a disaster, yeah. Gotcha. But anyway, yeah, huge weekend in the sports world. Uh, we'll get into kind of why it was historic with the PGA Championship here in a little bit, but let's do the Monday mailbag first. You ready to go? Let's do it. So the first question, this one's from Sam Blackman. He said, is Trey Young a current top five most hated player in the NBA? I'm not going to lie. That question kind of catches me off guard. Does it not catch you off guard? <laughs> it doesn't just because I know that Sam is a Knicks fan and yes. he's certainly a top five, probably top one most hated player in New York right now after the way he kind of hit that game winner and shushed the crowd last night. But top five in the NBA, of course not. He might be a top five most loved player in the NBA right now. You think that so? That was sick. It was pretty he, sick. He's not. That was an exaggeration. But the way that he did that, first of all, I'm so not used to having crowds, right? And especially like heckling crowds that actually care during a playoff game. And then to see the first like big silencer of the playoffs, I thought it was pretty sick. It's awesome. This weekend between the gallery that was following Phil on Sunday at the PGA and the NBA crowds, it was just amazing to see. After this past year, I'm so fired up for it. But did you see the crowd at Madison Square Garden at the beginning of the game? Just the unprompted F. Trey Young chant. Yeah, 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 which is why he was so pissed after the game and why he why he did that. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Just I, I love it. This is this is sports. It feels like we're back. 
Like, it feels like we're actually back now. Oh, we're super back. I love it. Okay, so we need to go a little bit into more detail with the answer to this question. So the reason I would say no is because I can immediately think of at least five guys that I would say are more hated than Trey Young. LeBron. LeBron's one of the more hated players. KD, Draymond. Draymond's the worst. I hate Draymond. Yeah, Um, a lot of people hate Draymond. Yeah, Patrick Beverly is pretty widely hated, although I will always say that he's one of those guys that I would love him if he were on my team, but he's not, so I hate him. Uh, Kyrie's just kind of a malcontent and also kind of a moron so yeah depending on who you are a lot of people hate him but trey young definitely not cracking the top five no there's also like a lot of people hate lonzo ball i'm kind of one of them (laughs) a lot of (laughs) people are against russ and then you've also got guys like grace and allen floating out there that that garner a lot of hate even though they're not good basketball players so yeah yeah. like jj reddick no one hates him that much anymore but just these older like kind of duke white guys that are just kind of hateable in general i get that yeah so i would say trey young is definitely not in the top five, but I'm sorry for your loss, Sam. <laughs> yeah, but it's only one game. I mean, they uh, they still got three home games in Madison Square Garden, so could certainly make a series out of it, but we'll see how Trey performs going forward. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Before we move on to the next question, I have two stats about this series, specifically about two players we just mentioned. So one, Trey Young just became the fourth player in NBA history to have 30 points and 10 assists in his playoff debut, joining LeBron, CP3, and Derrick Rose. Dang, that's pretty solid. Yeah, good company and great first game. And the weird part about that was I think he only shot three threes, which obviously that's kind of his game is to shoot threes. But he shot three and still scored 32 points. Yeah, and I was actually looking at this recently because a couple of my friends, we put a prop bet on Trey to make over one and a half three-pointers a few games ago. And as we were looking into it, realized that Trey only makes two threes a game on average. I thought, you know, after his Oklahoma days and the way he came into the league kind of regarded as this Steph Curry type, he was a little bit more of a three-point shooter than that, but he's really not. He's kind of got this all-around offensive game where he's a true point guard, like averaging over nine assists a game. He gets into the lane, makes those floaters. So he's really not just a three-point guy. Well, he's shooting over three three-pointers per game less than last year. So last year he shot nine and a half threes per game and this year only 6.3. So he's cut down on that a lot, attacking the basket more and also you know, dishing the rock more. So yeah, Trey Young's really good. And then other uh, fun stat that I had about a guy we just mentioned, Draymond Green. He just became the first player in NBA history to finish a season with more rebounds and more assists than points scored. Say that again, more, yeah, more rebounds, rebounds and assists. More rebounds than points scored and more assists than points scored. <laughs> it's funny because like he is a good all-around player, of course, not as good today as he used to be, but that just produces so many gross stat lines. It does. Like if you have six points, like eight rebounds and 10 assists, that just looks bad. Like you got to have the points be the top one there. It's not as impressive as it is surprising to me. Like I just would have thought that somebody would have done that before him. Yeah, I guess so. You know what Draymond also became the first person to do? Yeah, I get suspended for kicking someone in the nuts repeatedly? (laughs) Uh, Yes, but also became the first person after I betted on his team to win a game, uh, got the ball, you know, in crunch time with a chance at a buzzer beater and completely missed the rim from five feet away. First person to ever do that. That's not surprising, though, because he sucks. You saw that last possession when they trapped Steph. He called for the ball, like, at the top of the key and gave it to him, and he just drove down the middle of the lane. And pretty much, he threw, like, an alley-oop pass, but as a shot at the buzzer. I was not so upset. Great. It's That reminds me of, like, Reggie Ball throwing the ball away on fourth and goal. That's essentially what he did. Yes. Like, he's just so used to, like, you know, just driving down the middle of the lane, throws it up, somebody make a play. And there was just literally no one there. The buzzer went off, and that was just kind of it. And then they lost in overtime. But if you're a Draymond hater, you love to see that. 
not when you bet on him anyway. Facts. Okay. Yes, you're, you're right. I do like to see Draymond lose. All right. Well, we're talking about NBA. Got the second question is NBA related as well. Keaton Hall wants to know who would you most want to see win their first ring? Russell Westbrook, CP3, or Melo? Yeah, I was thinking through this one, and I think that the last place guy here has got to be Melo, just because he's past his prime. He's not the best player on his team anymore, so if the Blazers were to go on a run and win it, that would just kind of be all about Dame. And then Russ, like, it would be extremely cool, but, like, in the back of my mind, I'm factoring in the fact that that's just simply not realistic. Like, they're not about to beat the one seed and then just run through, like, the Nets uh, as well. But anyway, so my answer has to be Chris Paul. Because he, you know, he was so close with the Rockets, at least close to getting to the finals when he went down with that hamstring injury against the Warriors. But now the way he's in the twilight of his career, the Suns may be his last stop, took them from a non-playoff team to a two seed. So I've got to go with Chris Paul here. He's the point god, one of the best of all time. You literally took almost every thought that I had about this question. Bang. Yeah, I said Melo's going to be last because one, he's not the best play- best player on his team anymore. And so like, who really cares if he wins one in the twilight of his career when he's a role player? So whatever. And then also he just doesn't have the competitive drive that the other two have. Like those two guys really, really want to win a championship. I think Melo just is cool with like scoring a few points and, and going home, you know? Yeah, you didn't care at all. Stay, <laughs> no. stay mellow. No, exactly. Well, I'm sorry for stealing all your thoughts. Yeah, Great minds think alike. It's, yeah. almo- it's almost like we're related. And then, yeah. And then CP3, one, because he's come so close in the past with that injury for the Rockets, and also because the Suns are so sick. I just love the Suns, and it'd be really cool to see them win. I do like the Suns, and I hate that they're playing the Lakers first round. Like, we'll get more into that later, but that that's a tough one. Suns. Suns. Yes. Okay, yes. fair enough. All right, question number three. This one's from Riley Egan. What jersey will Julio Jones be wearing in September? And this, of course, comes from the news that came out earlier today. Julio got called by Shannon Sharp seemingly out of the blue on the Fox Sports 1 show with uh, Skip Bayless and asked if um, if Julio was going to be playing in Dallas because he you know got caught wearing that Cowboys jersey or whatever earlier working out with Amari Cooper. Anyway, Julio responded to the question, will you be playing in Atlanta with, no, I'm out of there. So that was very interesting. Lando, what do you think about this whole thing? Well, I just saw the video a little while ago and I don't think that he knew he was on TV, right? Like, I don't think he would have said that had he known he was live on the air because that's a pretty controversial thing to say. And these guys are more professional than that, especially guys who've been in the league as long as Julio has. It is controversial. And I had the same exact reaction this morning when I saw it. Like there's, and I think most national media thought the same thing. Like there's no way he knew he was on the air. But the more I thought about it, like that can't be real. Like, and I hate to sound like any kind of conspiracy theorist, but I think that was staged, especially given the background of guys like Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. But I just, I think that staging that kind of thing kind of serves both parties because afterwards it came out that Julio, I guess, requested a trade back in March and the Falcons leading up to the draft were making calls, seeking a first round pick. No one was willing to offer a first, so they didn't end up trading him. And I think this is his way of kind of trying to push it along and get it done. We kind of joked about how James Harden is going to be the new mold for trying to get traded. Like you make a trade demand. If the team doesn't accommodate you, you just start being a complete dickhead just mm-hmm. in every way Phone possible. Completely, yeah. yeah. Because then eventually it, like the team's hand is forced because all your teammates start hating you. You start becoming a cancer within the franchise. So, you know, I don't think of Julio as that kind of guy, but the fact that he hasn't issued any kind of statement, his agent hasn't said anything. I don't know. It just seems a little fishy to me. 
before I get into my predictions of what team he's going to play for in the fall, I was recently, as in today, reminded of a fact that I had formerly known, but since forgotten. Do you know Julio Jones' real whole name? So I looked it up the other day, um, but I can't remember it, which is embarrassing. It's it's funny. It's weird. His name is Quintoris Lopez Jones. Yes. The Julio okay. is completely fake. Correct. And so that's what I was going to say. I remember it being like a different Hispanic middle name, Lopez. Quintoris Lopez Jones, and he goes by Julio. But there is no Julio. Yeah, so I wonder where that comes from. I don't know if that's like a family name or what. I mean, we've always had a beef with Julio for a long time in that he's inconsistent with his J pronunciation. He should either be Julio <laughs> Honus or Julio Jones. You can't <laughs> Julio be, Honus. He, yeah. <laughs> you can't be Julio Jones. But anyways, let's move on to the question. So there's kind of an interesting thing coming out. Like initially, I've heard a lot of media and people talking about the possibility of the Patriots because they need wide receiver help badly. But I don't know about you, but to me, that just doesn't seem like the type of move that the Patriots tend to make, right? No, but everything that the Patriots have done this offseason is not a move that the Patriots tend to make. Like they've been overpaying guys. I just feel like they're, I don't know if Belichick has some kind of complex now that Brady won a Super Bowl without him, but I think he's going all out on this kind of revenge tour. So if the second round pick is going to be the price for him, I could see them doing it. Okay. That's fair. So is that your prediction? It is. Okay. And I, I guess it's kind of taking the favorite, but I mean, I think they're the favorite for a reason. Like you saw, even before all this happened today, a couple of days ago, it came out that Julio said he wants to play for the Patriots because he wants to play with Cam Newton for God knows what reason. Like, I don't even know if Cam's going to hold that starting job all year. Yikes. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know at this junction of his career why you would want to be catching balls from Cam Newton because I think Julio expressed concern over Matt Ryan's arm saying he lost a little bit of zing on his deep ball. It's like, dude, Cam Newton can't throw the ball past 20 yards. No, not at all. So you and I must have seen different odds because the Patriots were like fourth or fifth in the odds that I saw. So the odds that I saw, the three favorites were the Niners, the Colts, and the Chargers, which were all pretty close together at like 400 to 450. And then the Patriots were a little bit lower at like plus 700. Those are all kind of interesting. The Niners seem to be really aggressive this offseason and are really pushing for a possible like re-entrance into the Super Bowl conversation this year. So that's a, that's a kind of a fun team to think about him going to the Colts would be kind of fun too with Michael Pittman Jr. and T.Y. Hilton that'd be a really good trio although Carson Wentz is just going to be fumbling and throwing the ball to the other team so I'm not sure he's going to help their team win that much and then the Chargers would be kind of crazy right because they already have two monsters on the outside with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams so Julio Jones alongside those two like I don't know who you help and who you don't like those guys would be really tough to stop one team sneaky team to maybe keep an eye on even though they're a little bit lower in the odds do the Packers get into the conversation and try to help out A-Rod a little bit more? No, they don't want to help out Rodgers. <laughs> they hate Aaron Rodgers. They should. And again, especially if the price is a second round pick, like you have to pull the trigger on that. If I'm the Packers, I even give up give up a first. That Packers, the Packers are sick with Julio Jones, right? They're oh, sick. God, They're dude. sick without him. But the Packers are really nasty with Julio Jones. Yeah, Rodgers is coming off an MVP season without Julio Jones. Yes. <laughs> like you add them to the mix, my goodness, they become really tough to defend. Yeah, I don't know. I think that the Packers should certainly get in the mix. I saw the Chiefs mentioned as well. That would be ridiculous. Another team that not necessarily a sleeper, I think is realistic, the Titans. Mm-hmm. So AJ Brown has kind of come out 
actively recruiting Julio. Said Julio was his idol growing up. He'd give up number 11 for Julio to come play with them. DeAndre Hopkins said something about how he would restructure his contract to get Julio. So it's becoming a big thing. Players seem to want to play with him, maybe more so than the actual demand is amongst general managers, just considering, you know, draft pick and uh, compensation reasons. But I don't know. It's going to be a fun one. He's not going to the Cardinals, despite what DeAndre Hopkins says, right? Absolutely they already not. have They already have DeAndre Hopkins. They just drafted Rondale Moore. They signed A.J. Green. They have Christian Kirk, and Larry Fitzgerald hasn't retired yet. So, like, they have – yeah, he's not going there. No, that, that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, not on that. Okay, so we done with those questions? Yeah, I think we're all good there. So, you want to move on to some PGA? Yeah, so starting off with the PGA Championship, it was a crazy weekend, first of all. That course was beautiful. It was really, really tough. It was super long. We already mentioned it was like 7,900 plus yards. The wind was blowing, not crazy, but the wind was blowing enough to make an impact. There's sand everywhere. There were, at one point in time yesterday, I don't know what the final number was, but 102 instances where guys had sevens or higher in holes. Like It was just a battle out there. I mean, all you have to know is that guys who were two under, I guess, were tied for third. So it was tough. It was kind of like a US Open type setup. And we had a historic finish with Phil Mickelson becoming the oldest player at 50 years old to ever win a major championship. What'd you think? <laughs> well, it was pretty amazing. And I think it's funny because we, along with a lot of people, you know, in media, were talking about how it was a 7,900 yard course, not only strong wins, but switching directions day to day too. Like that makes it so impossible to play. But we were talking about how to win this thing, you have to be, you know, a big, you know, bomber, one of these guys that can just hit the crap out of the ball, put yourself in good position. But we didn't really take into account the fact that that could be 50-year-old Phil Mickelson. Like you talk or you think about him and maybe you wouldn't say that he is one of those bombers, but he is. He's a bomber. I mean, he he hit one of the, or I think the longest drive of the tournament and the wind was at his back, but it was like 366 yards. He hit, Phil hits bombs. He hit the longest drive on that hole of the tournament. Yeah, 366. It was crushed. Yeah, but Phil, that was amazing to see. I mean, he didn't lead a wire to wire, did he? No, but it was pretty close. Like he, he was on the leaderboard early on. Yeah, I mean, but incredible tournament for him. 50 years old, winning a major. You know, Tiger not being out there, I feel like he's got to be sitting at home like, all right, now I got to win another one. (laughs) Aren't the two coolest scenes probably you've ever seen in golf, at least in our lifetimes, this year, Phil winning the tournament this weekend and Tiger a couple years ago at the Masters? Like, those have to be the two coolest scenes I've ever seen in golf. Yeah, I mean, I think two years ago, Tiger at the Masters is far away, number one, but you're right. This gallery following Phil, especially after not having crowds this past year, was really, really cool to see. And I'm sure you saw on the 18th hole after his approach shot, they lost getting control. mobbed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I saw the guy like kind of grab him around the neck. I was like, goodness gracious, somebody get around him. And then yeah. the, the security all of a sudden came like around and protected him a little bit more. And then he kind of stood there for a minute and was like taking a bunch of deep breaths. Like he, I'm sure that startled him a little bit. I mean, that was crazy to watch. The tournament was still alive when that was going on. Like he still had to hit a couple good shots and he's getting like surrounded and mobbed by people. I don't, I don't really think that the tournament officials liked that very much. I'm not sure he liked it very much, but it was a really cool scene just from a fan perspective. Yeah. And I was glad on Sunday. I mean, I wanted Phil to win the whole time, but I was happy to see that like he did drop a couple strokes along the way and like Louis Ustazen and Brooks kind of made it competitive because you hate to see someone go into the final hole up five strokes because there's just no suspense to it. But for Phil to get that moment where all he had to do was stick that last approach shot and then he could two or maybe three putt for the win based on what Brooks did was really cool to watch. And I'm just happy for Phil. I mean, he is one of the best golfers of all time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that course, just with how hard it was, it left some openings, right? Like there were a few times in the back nine that one time Phil hit it in the water. He had a couple of times he's in trouble. 
And there was a chance for other guys to kind of step up and make a run at it. Louis Ustazen had that eagle putt towards the end where if he had made it, he would have been really close, I guess would have cut it to one. But just no one behind Phil could quite put enough pressure on him to make it matter and came came away with the W. Yeah, it just speaks to how hard the course was playing and Phil was the only one who kind of fully conquered it. But before we move on from this, I've got a Phil stat for you that I really wasn't fully aware of until I kind of started looking at, you know, articles from him winning the PGA. So Phil is one of 12 players ever to win three of the four majors. So the only one he hasn't won is the U.S. Open, but he has finished as the runner-up at the U.S. Open six times. Crazy. How nuts is that? That's so crazy. So, six times at one tournament to be runner-up. That's brutal. Yeah. So six times he was, you know, right on the brink of having a career grand slam. And how many guys have done that? I think four. Not many. Rory's one away, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Spieth. I mean, it, yeah, because mm-hmm. Spieth was one of the storylines coming into this because mm-hmm. the PGA is the only one he hasn't won. But anyway, I mean, he's among all-time greats, and he may he might never you know have this moment again where he's really contending in a major. So just happy for Lefty. Yeah, for sure. And then I want to circle back in the past whenever we had a golf tournament for a long time, I picked Xander Shoffley to win all of them. Yep, and he never has. I think I'm moving on to Abraham Answer. I'm not kidding. Okay. That guy's a stud. He's really good. I think he's going to be my guy because he's still not, like we talked about, he's still not considered one of the top golfers, but he is. So I think he's going to be a little bit underrated on the odds. I'm just going to pick him for a little bit. He's going to win one one of these days. Okay. I'll look out for him. I'll be the guy picking Shoffley, bringing home the cash. There we go. This is going to be <laughs> this is going to be the most impressive thing until Tom Brady wins his twelfth Super Bowl at the age of fifty. Yes, he probably will. Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me at all at this point. Nope. All right. Well, that's all we got for PGA. You want to talk some NBA basketball? There's a lot to talk about with NBA. Let's do it. Yeah. So we are through game one of each playoff series, and the theme here for me is that all four favorites in the East won. Right. So the East is just kind of pro forma, is what it is. It's what you expected. The West is the wild, wild West. I mean, three of the series underdogs won, and the only favorite who won in the West was the Blazers, but they're the six seed. Mm-hmm. You know, they're favored over the three seed Nuggets, largely because of the Jamal Murray injury. They're a little bit shorthanded. Who knows how that's going to work out? Didn't work out through game one. But anyway, the West is nuts. The West is nuts, and I expect it to be nuts. After kind of like thinking about it and watching these series, I think we might have more than one game seven in the first round of the West. Like, I think some of these series are going to go deep and they're going to be long, fun battles, and I'm jacked up about it. Yeah, I mean, you talk about game sevens, that's kind of the recipe, right? When the home team loses game one, you're usually in for a long series. You know, the away team. Typically, if you're an underdog, you want to close it out in six at home. That's hard to do. So I think you're right. I think we're in for some game sevens. But let's talk about the first matchup here. And that was the Mavs beating the Clippers 113 to 103. We talked about how this was a rematch of last year's playoff series. Could get a little chippy. And it did. Uh, Luka led the way for the Mavs, had 31, 11, and 10. And the Mavs beat you kind of the way we said that they might. They shot 17 for 36 from three. That's 47%. Hard to beat them when they're doing that. I just don't understand what's going on with the Clippers. They they don't have anyone talking about them, but they also have no edge. They just have nothing about them that's exciting right now. I, I love what the Mavs did. I love what they're doing. Luka came out with the, the triple-double in his first playoff game this season. It's just a weird deal. I think this is going to go a long way. I think this is going six or seven, and I would still pick the Clippers to win at this point in time. But this was my favorite result of any of the games of the first weekend, just because this sets us up, like you said, for a long series, and it's going to be chippy. It's going to be back and forth. 
and it's going to be a lot of star power going on. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. We talked about last week how the Clippers flew under the radar all season. All of the pressure was off of them. Well, guess what? It's back. Yeah, yep, <laughs> and it's sure. back in a hurry and in a big way. So they're they've got their backs up against the wall now. It's not going to be easy going up against Luca and gang. But the funniest thing about this game to me was: Did you see the moment where Kawhi Leonard threw down a dunk on Maxi Kleba, and there was a picture of Kawhi? Paul George and Marcus Morris all kind of flexing and yelling at Maxi while he was on the ground, like in unison. And I saw on Twitter, somebody like quote tweeted that picture and was like, I don't care that the Clippers lost. This is the most badass thing I've ever seen. It's like, not really. No, not at all. <laughs> it's if like you don't win a, the game, then who right. cares? Yeah, they had a big moment, big dunk, and then from there blew it and just kind of continued to overachieve. So no, I didn't really think it was that badass at all. But anyway, Kleba came out and said he thought it should have been a technical foul. So I like that after what happened last year, there's already a little bit of beef going on. This series, probably the most intense one going right now. We need more beef. The unfortunate thing, and we need to start some sort of revolution on this, is the NBA is stupid with how long they drag out the playoffs. So that game, game one, was on Saturday night. Game two's on Tuesday. I don't like the two-day breaks when there's not a travel day. It's stupid. I remember the NBA used to do the whole promotion of like 40 games and 40 nights. I don't know if that is like still the goal, but if there's not a travel day, one day break. Yes. If there is stupid. travel, two days. We don't need, Simple formula. We don't need three-month playoffs. I love the NBA playoffs as much as anybody, but just move it along. Yeah, but also it's nice to kind of bridge the gap as close as you can get to football because the dead period between basketball and football is just brutal. That is a fair point. point <laughs> right, moving on to the next game. So the Blazers, we mentioned they're the six seed. They beat the three seed Nuggets 123 to 109 in Denver. I thought the most interesting thing here was Portland's defensive strategy against Jokic, especially with Jamal Murray out. They were letting him score kind of and kind of limiting his playmaking abilities. Jokic had 34 points, only one assist. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly what their strategy was. You've heard people talk about doing this with other players, but I hadn't seen anybody try it on Jokic yet. But it really worked. Obviously, one assist for him is a huge abnormality, like a huge anomaly. Like he he has he creates so many opportunities, especially on like handoffs and easy passes all the time, that it's pretty strange for him to only have one assist. So I think they're just going to keep on rolling with this until the Nuggets somehow adjust. We talked about this already, but I just don't think they have enough firepower without Jamal Murray. This the, the Blazers are a favorite for a reason. I expect this series to go this way. I think the Nuggets are going to put up some sort of fight, but I fully expect the Blazers to come away with the win in the series. I agree with you. And we have to mention Dame Lillard. He led the way with 34 points and 13 assists. I mean, you can't say enough about the guy. He's a stud. So yeah, I think that he, you know, leads them to a victory over the Nuggets. Yeah. Playoff Dame is the man. He is. All right. Next series, Suns and the Lakers. This 2-7 matchup just feels unfair. The storyline coming into this was, you know, people were giving the Suns a chance. The odds weren't crazy, but everyone was like, I feel bad for the Suns having to go against the defending champion Lakers in the first round. But they came out pretty strong. Huge playoff debuts for Devin Booker, 34 points. DeAndre Ayton had 21 and 16 in his first playoff game. What'd you think here? Yeah, the Suns look like a force to be reckoned with. The Lakers look like duds. I really don't think they're healthy, especially after that play-in game where at times they were losing to the Warriors and they still had LeBron on the bench. At times he would not normally be on the bench. I just don't think LeBron or AD is fully healthy. And I don't think they're, they have no momentum going right now. Like they're just not a good team right now or not, not good enough to beat a two seed, really good team in the Suns. So I think the Suns are going to win the series. I, I would be willing to bet on that. 
And uh, I love the Suns. I can't wait for the Suns to, to go on to the second round. So I love the Suns too. I also like the Lakers. I enjoyed watching them last year, but you said you'd bet on it. It's minus 110. Both teams are minus 110 right now. They're giving it even odds. So if you want to bet on it, go for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not ready to do that quite yet because isn't this what the Lakers did last year? And I know it feels different, but last year they just lost every game one and we're like, all right, we're good now. We're just going to go with the gentleman sweep and win the next four. Like they lost multiple game ones and then turn on the gas. So I, I do think it feels different after all the injuries and time missed for Braun and AD. I don't know that they're up to speed and if LeBron can, you know, they can rely on him playing 40, 45 minutes a game, but I don't know. I'm just not ready to bury him yet. I'm not ready to bury him. And once again, they're going to put up a fight. They're going to be like the Clippers. They're not just going to lay down and die. I think they're going to put up a fight. And I think this series is one of those that could go seven. But if I had to choose between the two, I would choose the Suns. Yeah, I feel you on that. And you know the saying, like, a series has never started until the home team loses. So even if the Lakers lose game two, like, I've just got to see games three and four before I really judge it. So I don't know. I'm just going to enjoy watching this one. I honestly have no idea what's going to happen, but it's going to be fun. Yes, it is. All right, so moving on to the last game one out west, Jazz and Grizzlies, the game that everybody in America was asleep for. The Jazz lost the one seed, lost at home. Game one to the Grizzlies, 112 to 109. What'd you think about this one? Well, I didn't think anything because I didn't see it. Like you said, I was <laughs> I was super, super asleep. Yep. I mean, I was surprised when I saw the box score in the morning, somewhat, right? Like, even though the Jazz are the one seed, they are missing their best player. So it's similar to the Nuggets situation in that without Donovan Mitchell, the Jazz are a completely different team and have not enough firepower to do much, even though they could probably still beat the Grizzlies over the long run. But even that, even considering that, like, pretty sick win for the Grizzlies, it's hard for an eight seed to do much damage against a one seed. We don't see it very often, so good for them. Yeah, and the biggest storyline here, like you mentioned, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I think he was expected to play. He's got a lingering ankle injury. They ruled him out hours before the game. And then it came out today that he was furious Mm -hmm. with the Jazz's decision to sit him. So that's interesting. Something to keep an eye on. But it sounds like he is good to go for game two. So I wouldn't panic too much if I'm the Jazz yet. They're getting their best player back who averaged 26 points a game this weekend. That'll be a huge boost for them offensively. And they shot 47 threes in this game and made 25% of them. I mean, they're better than that. That's probably not going to happen again. I think the bigger concern is defensively, they just kind of let the Grizzlies guards do whatever they want. I mean, John Morant, Dylan Brooks getting to their spots. Dylan Brooks led the way with 31. John Morant added 26. So the Grizzlies, you know, they're a good team. They're young, exciting, fun to watch. But can they beat the Jazz in seven games? Probably not. I'm proud of you for not being overreaction guy. This is this is typically the situation <laughs> in which you just jazz are done. The jazz, the jazz are over. <laughs> the Grizzlies are it, and you're not doing that. So okay, I'm proud so of you. so thank you for that. But I I have to say I'm not that level headed. The way that I kind of wanted to wrap up this whole thing, talking about game ones, yeah, you know, in the Western Conference, everything crazy going on is, is it possible that this playoffs is kind of the transition or the passing of the torch to this next era? Like we could see a bunch of these young guys knocking out the old guard, somebody like, you know, Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, Joel Embiid, Giannis, somebody, you know, this next generation getting their first ring and starting to really build the the Hall of Fame resumes. That would be fun. We have been blessed with a lot of really, really good young talent in the NBA. I mean, obviously we've we've been lucky to watch a lot of these older legends, these guys who are like thirty five and up who've been running the league for the last fifteen years. But it would be kind of cool in the near future to see a changing of of the guard and some of these young guys win one. Yeah, and if, especially if you look at the Western Conference, like we said, all of the underdogs for the most part winning. What if the next round and the final four out West 
is Mavs, Blazers, Suns, and Grizz. Like, <laughs> what is that? I think the chances of that are small to quite small. Yeah. But yes, we could at least see, you know, two or three of those teams in there and it would be dope. I would love it. Yeah, it would just be fun to get some fresh faces in the NBA Finals. Like, what if it was like Suns, Sixers? Like, it just sounds fun. It does sound fun to me. I'm I'm kind of tired of the whole Warriors, Steph Curry against LeBron deal. I'm ready, ready to move on. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, the Warriors are pretty much phased out and dead at this point. Like, if LeBron doesn't get back, I don't know. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be new. I'm excited about it. Playoffs have been amazing so far and expect more of that to come. But that's about all we got for the NBA unless you have more. That's good. Good with me. All right, let's talk about some Major League Baseball. I know you had a couple players that you wanted to touch on. What you got? So one thing that tends to happen in Major League Baseball is we have these really, really highly rated prospects, these guys that get all kinds of hype when they're about to get called up to the Major Leagues. We get excited about them, and they come up, and they're not bad. They're just not an immediate superstar, and so we start to forget about them a little bit and lower our expectations of them. There's one of those guys who right now is breaking out all the way, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Yeah, he's, he is he's killing it. Popping off. Had two more home runs today. He's now up to a triple slash of 333, 443, 661. So a little bit over an 1100 OPS. That guy is killing it. We knew he could match when he was, you know, coming up in the minors. His dad's a Hall of Famer. He's got the pedigree. That guy is really freaking good. And I want everyone to start paying attention to him because he is a superstar in the making and kind of like an MVP candidate if his team can be good enough, maybe even starting this year. Well, I like that. And he needs a good hype man like you because he plays in Canada and people rarely see him play. But Guy is real good. We we know it well because they are 6-0 and against the Braves this year and kind of kind of beat us pretty bad, unfortunately. But yeah, Vlad is really good. And he's fun just because everyone liked his dad. Like mm-hmm. just everyone loved Vlad Guerrero. He's known for just, you know, hitting dingers without wearing batting gloves. Like that's just kind of his staple and his thing. His son playing for the same franchise he did, or at least, you know, out in Canada, same country. Same country. <laughs> or yes. close enough. Same country. Yeah, they're basically the same. Expos, Blue Jays, basically the same yeah, thing, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, then not to mention Vlad Guerrero Sr. There's some cool story about like he grew up dirt poor and showed up the first day of like a tryout or camp or whatever for the Expos with no shoes. Like he had no shoes. He had nothing at all and became a Hall of Famer. Crazy kind of combination of a free swinger who had very little plate discipline. He would swing at pitches that bounced and stuff, but still hit over 300 for his career and just completely raked. Like what a fun guy. So yeah, hard not to root for Vlad Jr. Free swinger. Was that a reference to the MLB showdown strategy card? I kind of miss MLB showdown. <laughs> do we still have the card somewhere? We do. I think Poteet has them because we played back when I lived with uh, Chubbs and Poteet at Bramblewood. We should have like a triathlon of MLB showdown, backyard baseball, and something else from our past. I'm way in. Let's do it. Okay. Let's figure it out. Book it. We'll do that this summer. Another player that we need to talk about, Fernando Tatis, kind of fits the description of what you just said. Major prospect. His dad was really good in the league. Everyone kind of knew he was coming up and was supposed to be good. And man, he arrived quick. He's already killing it and he's already gotten his monster contract. So he's back from the IL in the first week you know, his last four games, four bombs, 12 RBIs and three stolen bases, leading the Padres to now being the best team in baseball at 30 and 17. So can't say enough things about Tatis. That guy's incredible. Yeah. And also that division race. I know we're early, but the fact that right now the two best records in baseball are both in the NOS between the Padres and the Dodgers, like that could be a long-term battle and you don't want to be a wild card now with the wild card game. And so those two teams are going to be going all out to try to win that division. Yeah, and it's funny because they both 
I think just past the Giants. Like the Giants mm-hmm. have somehow been really good too. So yeah, that's that's a really fun division in the NL West. Something to keep an eye on. And then another player we have to mention, Ronald Acuna, hometown guy. I think other than Shohei Otani, he's like second in the league in home runs. Just absolutely killing it. And Major League Baseball, I think we've said this before, but it just feels like it's incredibly good hands right now. Mm-hmm. Like I know that we're not that old, but I just don't remember any year ever where I just feel like there are so many good young guys and young meaning like 22, 23. Really young. Like really young. Like dudes who are going to be around for like 15 years. Yes. Yes. There are a bunch of rising stars in baseball. So you mentioned the home run race. So right now it's a tie between Acuna and Vlad Jr. with 15 for the major league lead and Otani has 14. He's one behind them. He's tied with somebody else. So yeah, the fact that we have a starting pitcher Tied for the second, tied for second place <laughs> yeah. in the major leagues and home runs is crazy. I did want to talk about one more guy just because it's a cool story. Trey Mancini deserves a shout out. Missed all of last year being treated for colon cancer, was undergoing chemo and everything. Right now, he's the major league leader in RBIs with 41. So just kind of a cool story that he's made a comeback and is having a great season early on. That is amazing. Happy for the guy. He's still on the Orioles, right? He is. And they still have just managed to be really, really bad. Yeah, that's just kind of what they do. Yeah, well, good news for him. If he keeps playing like that, he's going to get traded to a contender. So yeah, that's pretty dope. chill. That'd be dope. And then we do need to mention that the Rays have won 11 in a row. They are now right behind the Dodgers and Padres with the third best record in baseball. 11 game winning streaks in baseball don't happen very often. So pretty cool. They don't. And the Rays, like I know they're your boys because they're it's like the whole kind of like smartest guy in the room yep. thing, the money ball. Do you know who leads them in like, Kat, I, I want to ask you, who leads them in batting average, home runs, RBIs, and OBP? Just because if you ask me, I, I didn't, don't even like if I could even name who players on their team are. Uh, Randy Rosarena? Nope. In so none, he, none of the categories? He leads them in hits, but none of the ones I mentioned. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer. Nope. Yoshi Tsutsugo. <laughs> no, but I love that you knew him. <laughs> so batting, Joey Wendell. Yes, batting average is Joey Wendell yeah, at Joey 310. Okay. Home runs is Mike Zanino with 11. Austin Meadows RBIs with 29. And then OBP is Yandy Diaz at 374. Anyway, don't want to get too much into the Rays, but like, how are these guys this good? They really are playing money ball. Like, they just are kind of running the numbers, throwing it into an Excel file, and just getting these like random dudes who just, I don't know. That's what they do. Yeah. But are they going to win the World Series? I don't know. Hard to say. It's going to be really hard to beat the firepower of these teams that have all the money in the world. It's just. It's the same thing every year, right? Like there's a difference between regular season baseball and playoff baseball because when you're playing a seven-game series and you can run out three aces in a row, it's really hard to beat. Yeah, but that's why baseball is so much fun is the favorite, I feel like, pretty much never wins. Like granted, they did last year with the Dodgers and they could again this year, but I just feel like it's always like somewhat random. And I don't know. I'll be pulling for, if it's not the Braves, the Padres. Like that up-and-coming young team, I think is pretty sick. Yeah, the Padres are the baseball version of the Suns. Yeah, pretty much. They're the same thing. And then, yeah, let's just get a Braves versus Padres in LCS, and I'll be happy. Do you know what's really sad right now is how bad the Braves' bullpen is and the fact that Mark Melanson, who was on the Braves last year, is the major league leader with 16 saves for the Padres. Yeah, that hurts. The Braves' bullpen is a bunch of certified bums right now, but the Braves somehow only find themselves one and a half games back in the NL East. So who knows? By the end of the week, they could be in first place. This past weekend, they beat the absolute breaks off the Pirates three games in a row. What was the series score? It was like... 40 to 1 or 40 to 3 or something like that yeah it was it was, it was pretty bad i think in that one game they scored 20 runs and hit like six bombs but seven bombs and two grand slams that'll play that'll work yeah we'll take it <laughs> do more of that braves yeah 20 runs a game will be good yeah <laughs> oh i'm down for it are we done 
I think so. I think we're done. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We will be back next Monday, I think, which is Memorial Day. So have a happy long weekend and we'll see you then. Bye.